Welcome to the Sunshine Economy on WLRN. Thanks for listening. I'm Tom Hudson. And I'm Jessica Bakeman. A year after the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School shooting, Robert Runcie says he wants to make Broward County Public Schools the safest in the nation. The superintendent and the school district could face new scrutiny for their actions before and after the shooting. Governor Ron DeSantis has asked for a state grand jury to investigate school security. If approved by the Florida Supreme Court, it would join other investigations, including one by the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School Public Safety Commission. Now, in a statement, Runcie said he agrees with the statewide focus and supports an investigation, quote, to improve safety and security in our own district and school districts statewide, end quote. We spoke with Superintendent Runcie in his office last week about accountability, new school board proposals on recommendations from the Stoneman Douglas commissions, and school security. Are schools safer today than they were before the Stoneman Douglas tragedy? Well, speaking for what we're doing here in Broward County, I can say absolutely. Last spring, we immediately gave directives to all of our schools um, to implement enhanced protocols to ensure that all of our our gates and perimeter fencing on our campuses, that they were locked when schools were in session. Um, We also required all classroom doors to be locked while classes are in session as well. Um, All students, adults, visitors are required to wear IDs uh, on campus. Um, In January of 2018, the school board had authorized $5 million for us to upgrade our camera systems that support over 10,000 cameras in Broward County. That work was completed in June of 2018. Uh, We prioritized an additional $30 million in investments to add another 2,500 cameras, more radios for our schools, um, upgrading our intercom systems, and also creating something that has not uh, been in place in as, as far as we know in any district in the state in the country, and that's an enterprise risk management function. Um, that is an office of what we call school safety and security that oversees all security um, operations within a district. Those things have been put in place so far, and we continue to work on more and more um, security measures um, within um, the district. I believe when you look at where we are in Broward County and you compare that to um, where we were prior to um, uh, February 14th of 2018, we are a much (coughs) safer district. However, what I will tell you is that safety and security is an ongoing continuous improvement process for us. It's our highest priority to make sure that we have the safest environment that we can provide for our students and our staff in our schools. Um, We will never be 100% secure. I can't guarantee that. I can't say that to anyone, Um, uh, but what I can tell you is that we're doing our very best to make our schools as safest as possible. And my goal, given that this horrific tragedy occurred here in Broward County, is to make Broward County schools the safest schools in America. I want us to be a model for that. And I think the investments that we're making, the changes that we're making in this district, um, are, are moving us in that direction. So let me follow up with that pledge, if I may use that word, to make Broward County Schools the safest in America. Are you comfortable making that pledge to the community? I, I, not only am I comfortable making that pledge, I think it is my responsibility, it's my obligation as a, as a leader in Broward County Public Schools. Um, that is what we have to do. I'm committed to doing that. I came into, into the district 
um, not only to obviously educate kids, but pri safety and security has always been a pri priority. Um, but it is a whole different level of significance and attention where I can tell you that every single day we begin our day here at Broward County Schools with conversations about how are things going at MSD today? Are there any things that we need to, and what's the status of commitments we've made, things that we're actually trying to do? Um, and then, of course, we look at what's going on in the entire district. We have over 230 schools in Broward County, over 31 different communities. They expect us to give them the same level of attention and support that we're providing out there. And that's my commitment to the entire county. What more needs to be done in order for you to uh, fulfill that pledge that you've made to the community to make this school district the safest in America? Well, uh, there, are, there are a couple of things. First, um, you know, we need to continue to push. Um, and that is going to require, um, uh, you know, direction from me, um, the school board, and continuing to get that message out to our schools. It's a new day. Um, we need to change our practices. Um, you know, we just need to continue to work to change the culture. Um, I think what happens in um, many places, Broward and school districts all over the, the state and country, um, sometimes they can get into maybe a level of complacency, right? So we'll put um, things in place. Um, things are fine for months or years. Um, we've got to constantly make sure that um, we remain vigilant in holding people accountable that safety and security is an area that absolutely cannot be compromised for a single day or a single minute. There's also funding, right? And so um, I don't want to limit this to just say, hey, if we don't get funding, you know, things won't happen. No, we're going to do whatever we can. This school board in August authorized $31 million for additional investments above and beyond anything we would ever receive from the state. So we don't, always, we don't have unlimited resources, but what we need to do is be smarter with the resources that we have, leverage every asset, um, every dollar that we can, and invest those in the highest priority things. The number one thing that you need to invest in to minimize the possibility of threats and risk in your community um, is investing in threat assessments um, and, and, and mental health um, and school climate. Uh, the things that we some call the soft pieces, not necessarily the hard pieces, um, that's how we uh, will be able to make sure that we're doing our best to minimize risk to our schools and overall our community. And I, I think the new administration under the, the governor, um, I think that's something that they would agree um, is a high priority area of investment as well. It's not only just about school hardening, it's also about school softening. The school softening piece is around the mental health, the social emotional pieces, and the threat assessments that go on. You said before, you can never say that the schools are 100% secure. You can't make that guarantee. Why? And is that an acceptable, if you're a parent, is that an acceptable thing be, to Because there's, there's nothing that's 100% secure, right? It, that would be a false statement, right? We, we can get as close as we can to perfection. I don't think that we'll absolutely be there. What I'll tell you is that our goal is to make sure that our schools are safer tomorrow than they were today. Um, and that uh, it will continue to be um, our goal. 
safety and security is our highest priority. We're going to continue to um, make um, investments in this area. Uh, our goal, again, is to have the safest schools um, in this country to be right here in Broward County. So you mentioned uh, Governor Ron DeSantis, his administration. How is the district prepared for action that the governor might take against members of the school board related to the response to the shooting? Well, I, I can't, you know, spend time speculating about what may or may not happen. What I can tell you is that we need to spend our time getting critical work done to make our district safer. As an example, um, a few weeks ago, uh, uh, shortly after the MSD Public Safety Commission issued its uh, final uh, interim report, um, as you know, we came out and did something that no other district has done in this state. Um, we took that report to heart and we went through every single recommendation that was pertinent to public schools and we actually gave our status of where we are. And the good news is that the majority of those recommendations, we've either completed work um, or we're actually in process with it. And we are creating a scorecard and being transparent to the public that, hey, look, we're going to um, uh, look at these recommendations very seriously. Um, we're going to implement um, everything we know to make our schools safer. Um, and we're going even beyond the MSD Commission. We're, we're looking at um, the reports and information that we have from our own internal security risk assessment firm, which is very extensive. Um, we are uh, incorporating what the Broward League of Cities has done with a report that they have come up. And then the President uh, Trump's administration came out with a safety report. We are are looking at all of those and integrating those recommendations and identifying where the overlap is. Um, we're doing things here um, that should serve as a model for districts around the country. So we need to be the model for the country. Some of those recommendations from the Marjorie Stemman Douglas Public Safety Commission, for example, uh, having a policy for dealing with code red situations, establishing hard corners in classrooms, um, establishing the communication with the, the police so that they have access to the cameras. Those were things that the commission had been asking you throughout the period of their investigation since last year, uh, since the shooting, to put into place. And at different points, they had questioned whether you felt a sense of urgency. Will you respond to that? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that we, I just described a whole host of things that we implemented immediately, uh, you know, after um, the, the tragedy. So when it comes to a sense of urgency, let me just say uh, there were three things that we focused on on the evening of February 14th and beyond. Number one, and first and foremost, and what was most urgent at that very moment was the well-being of the students, the teachers, and the community. The trauma from this horrific tragedy had to be dealt with. We immediately went into action, opened five resiliency centers where we staffed them with mental health um, clinicians um, and resources. Uh, one center was open 24-7 for several months. We also engaged and reached out to national organizations to help us because the, the, the magnitude of this tragedy required that we get outside resources. Um, this district was not equipped 
to provide all the services that were required. So we brought in the National Center for School Crisis and Bereavement. Um, through the Zuckerberg Foundation, uh, we were able to get the Center for Mind Body Medicine that does wellness work all over the world. Um, we had the National Center for Victims of Crime. I then brought in individuals from Columbine, Sandy Hook, Pulse, to give us their perspective on what we could do to serve our community and help them heal. We staffed the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas School Zone with another 25 additional um, uh, clinicians, counselors, and staff there. We brought in dozens of therapy dogs and other resources just help the students at the school work, uh, deal with emotionally. When we reopened the school a couple weeks later, we had somewhere close to um, 150 or more uh, counselors, social workers from other districts in the state of Florida to help us. So that is, a, that is an immediate sense of urgency and we responded to that. The other pieces around school hardening, um, the pieces that you're referring to, uh, yes, you can have a lot of assets out there, but you need to use them. That's why we gave clear directives immediately to schools that, you know what, we put gates and fencing and locks around your school. We expect you to use them, and you need to lock down your facilities, put these protocols in place, make sure your classroom doors are locked. We've been doing code red um, and active assailant drills. And I can tell you so far, we're probably close to 2,000 such drills that have been completed um, since the beginning of this um, school year. So no, we've, we've acted um, and you know, for some, it may not be exactly what somebody may have wanted um, and it may not be as fast enough, but we've been juggling a lot of pieces to make it to do this. Third, we have been cooperating and working extensively with major investigations that have been going on, in particular, the MSD Public Safety Commission. Our goal, as well as the commission, is to make sure that we find out what went wrong and why, and be smarter about where we are. What do we need to change in this district to make sure our schools are safer? The only way you're gonna do that is to have an a, a honest reckoning about what actually went wrong, what you need to fix. And as a leader, that's what I expect to do, um, recognizing that, yes, this horrible tragedy could have happened anywhere in America, but it happened here in Broward County. It happened under my watch. It's my responsibility as a leader to make sure that we fix it. Leadership isn't always about um, having a perfect situation. Things happen, it's how you respond to them. I believe I'm here at this time for a reason, and that reason is to help this community move forward. There was a report recently about a letter that you sent to uh, Senator Eleanor Sobel in 2013 outlining mm -hmm. some of the safety changes that you were looking into at the time as a response to the Sandy Hook school shooting. Some of those include requesting municipal and county law enforcement to increase their presence at schools, yeah. um, requiring each school to review its safety plan, and some other hardening issues. Did those things take place? I mean, some of those things came out in the commission report where they said that that wasn't taking place at Broward County Schools. Well, let me say, in, in terms of uh, initiatives that we put in place, um, yes, we, shortly after that, we had passed 
um, a, a bond referendum that included safety components in it, such as single point of entry. We're getting those completed even ahead of the original schedule that we have put in place. So those are hardening measures that we put in place. Over the years, we've continued to work with our local law enforcement agencies to increase the number of SROs that we have on our school campuses. As you know, that's a challenge because there's a shortage in Broward County alone. I've heard there may be as many as 300 vacancies of um, law enforcement um, uh, personnel positions. We have been doing active um, assailant um, training, which are uh, in, in these mock dr drills uh, that involve multiple agencies, and we've continued to make sure um, that we do emergency code drills throughout our schools. So, you know, we haven't been able to do everything that we want to do. We've got certainly limitations um, with resources, uh, but we have certainly had safety and security as a top priority and have continued to work um, to enhance that. Now, uh, it's a different day since February 14th. Um, the state has allocated um, more dollars for um, school safety um, and, and security. And then, you know, we recently put a, another referendum on the table to um, enhance that. And so it's, it's a continued work in progress um, for us. Um, doesn't have a timetable on it. It's just something that we need to get better at every day. Those are things you've been talking about since February 14th, 2018. Right, so but if that's something that you were aware of five years ago, then why, you know, why wasn't more done, I guess, before this happened that could have possibly Well, I mean, it? there has been. We have been talking to municipal entities, and, 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 and the state just came up with the Guardian program. That wasn't there before, and, when it, and so we've taken advantage of that as a way to fill the gap. That's Broward County Public School Superintendent Robert Runcie. Still to come, the investigations into school employees and calls for accountability. I want to make sure that when we take action, it's not just purely an emotional reaction, it's not a knee-jerk reaction. These are serious decisions that we make that have enormous um, consequences on people. Welcome back to the Sunshine Economy. Thanks again for listening. I'm Tom Hudson. And I'm Jessica Bakeman. Three assistant principals and a security specialist who were working at Stoneman Douglas High School the day a gunman walked in on campus, opened fire with a semi-automatic rifle, killing 17 people and wounding 17 others, remain under investigation by the school system. The four no longer work at the school. They were reassigned nine months after the tragedy. The state commission investigating the shooting raised questions about how administrators dealt with the shooter while he attended school and the communications problems during the shooting. In our interview with Broward Schools Superintendent Robert Runcie last week, he said the district may expand its investigation to include other school employees. I have made it clear that as that investigation proceeds um, and takes the results from the MSD commission, um, we will expand it as necessary to include other uh, individuals. But we are following our process here to and, and doing things as, as quickly as we can, but balancing the fact that we want to get things done as quickly as possible, 
also recognizing that individuals have a right to due process and for their story and voices to be heard um, because we want to make sure we have the full picture when we move forward with ultimate um, accountability of these particular cases. Can you but give us an update on the timeline of that the investigation? The timeline is I've, uh, the investigators that are working on this, I've asked them to make sure that we get this work um, done by the end of this school year so that we can at least for the next school year go into it uh, with as fresh a start as possible. The due process that you describe uh, I imagine is dictated and spelled out in collective bargaining agreements that these people it's, are it's, covered uh, by? It's, it's not just collective bargaining, but the school board has a very clear policy that they've spent an enormous amount of time deliberating over the last um, three or four years. It's pretty clear about um, making sure that employees um, have an opportunity to um, you know, the, present their case uh, in situations where um, they're being accused of, of wrongdoing or any other discipline-related uh, matters, and there's a whole process and committees and things they go through. Do you think but, the policy has impeded the investigation no, or the action you're not, able to not, take? No, I don't. Um, we l- Let me say this. I want to make sure that when we take action, it's not just purely an emotional reaction is not a knee-jerk reaction. These are serious decisions that we make that have enormous um, consequences, um, you know, on people. And so uh, the commission, um, you know, is doing their work. We allowed them to do their work. We gave them all the information we had to be able to do that. Uh, They made it very clear to me that um, they didn't want us to be doing anything that would impede uh, the commission's work and be redundant with it, um, especially when they were going to give us all of that material and supporting information that we needed to actually conduct our own investigations. And I thought that was a plus. So we waited for that process to go through. That commission um, has completed its work. They've handed over materials to me. I've had briefings with them. And we've now delivered that information a few weeks ago to our own um, independent investigators that we've hired. So just to be clear, while the Stoneman Douglas Commission was working, the school district's own investigation had been paused? We were running some investigations of our own. Uh, We hired a a firm out of Tallahassee to do a review on the shooter's academic experience in the district because we wanted to understand what that what that looked like and what we may need to do in terms of our own training and work um, uh, with people in the district in terms of how we deliver services. Secondly, I went to the Florida Department of Law Enforcement on my own to actually have some uh, other investigations done, which a lot of people may not know about. So those investiga- that investigation was actually going on. And what was the focus Re- of that? It was, it was some, some um, activities at MSD. And the Florida Department of Law Enforcement happens to be the entity that the MSD Public Safety Commission used to do its investigations. So the chair asked us to fold that work into what they were doing. Um, And then I also had hired an individual um, to do some preliminary work because I couldn't get a sense of what the timing was going to be of when the commission would do their work. And mind you, 
the main pieces of evidence that we needed to do any investigation, we didn't have it. It was taken from the district. Um, literally within 48 hours, they took all the videos and, and information that we had, um, which you see the commission, it was the core and central piece of the work they did. So we allowed the, the commission to do their work um, as the chair asked me to fold whatever we were doing into what they did. So I, I, I stopped that. And I know there was a lot of, um, you know, confusion publicly about what occurred, but that, that's what occurred. Um, the commission also could do an investigation as beyond anything we could do because they had about uh, more than a dozen uh, law enforcement people that actually had subpoena power, yeah. which we, we don't. What accountability measures are available to the district as it goes through this investigatory process? Um, the accountability measures range from anything to uh, formal reprimand, to suspension, to termination. Those are the options that will be on the table, and that's true for every disciplinary situation that we have under investigation with any employee. As you said before, as the leader of the district, there is a responsibility that you have. This was under your watch. Yes. I think you could make the same argument for the principal at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas. Obviously, those four people that you mentioned who are under investigation were under his watch. Do you see that there's any responsibility from him, or are you looking into doing an investigation to Principal Ty Thompson? Yeah, I believe that um, the leader of the school uh, uh, certainly bears um, some responsibility. We're working through our investigation, which clearly takes uh, information and recommendations from the commission, um, and we will expand our work um, as we need to over the next um, several weeks and coming months. Uh, and and if, if we need to expand uh, the individuals, the number of individuals who are being investigated, we will do so. Um, and that's, uh, you know, I'll leave it at that. Who will make that decision? Will it be you? Will it be the school board? Will it be your investigators? Uh, it's, it, it's ultimately going to, um, you know, be, the, I, I'll be, I will be briefed, uh, I think, periodically by the investigators. I'm going to demand that. And uh, I, I, I think they will um, take, uh, you know, they'll, they'll probably make recommendations and probably take direction from me. But um, given what I see, I'll, I'll certainly push to expand investigations as necessary. As there have been critics and, um, you know, parents of students who were killed who have called on Principal Ty Thompson to be disciplined somehow, mm -hmm. they have also called on you for your resignation. H have you ever considered that? Let me just say, I, I absolutely um, think about the parents who have lost their children or uh, and our, our, the three employees that um, we lost. And uh, I know they're going through tremendous amount of um, grief, anger. I can't um, even imagine uh, the extent of, of what, what that's like. Uh, but what I'll tell you is that uh, I, I'm not only trying to do my very best to serve this community at Stoneman Douglas, um, and that's every student, teacher, uh, the impacted families, not only those who lost a child, their loved one, but um, you know the, the 17 students that were shot and injured, we continue to work to support them. Uh, but I, I also have to 
uh, address the needs of the rest of the entire county. Um, so, um, yes, I, I, I do hear um, the anger. I hear some of those calls, but I also hear from the rest of the county, and people want us to continue to do the job that we're doing. They see the safety improvements in their schools, but they also want to make sure that their kid gets a great education and they have an opportunity for a future and a shot at the American dream. And in Broward County, um, we have made, uh, I, I think, notable progress um, academically. Uh, we have, you know, we see some of our highest graduation rates, our pass rates on the um, college level um, courses. We're continuing to improve this district um, and, and do things in a way that's student-centered. Um, and we need to continue that. And we need to continue that for all schools in Broward County while we're also making all schools as safe as possible. And I'll keep doing this work as long as I believe that our, our community wants us to continue doing that. Broward County School Superintendent Robert Runcie. Still to come, the effort to create safer spaces in thousands of Broward public school classrooms. There is a risk of being overly prescriptive in our solutions based on what the last shooter did. This is the Sunshine Economy on WLRN. I'm Tom Hudson. And I'm Jessica Bakeman. A month ago, Robert Runcie said all 20,000 classrooms in Broward Public Schools would have hard corners. Those are spaces inside classrooms where students can hide in an emergency. This week, the Broward School Board is scheduled to vote on a policy that will require all schools to create, mark, and maintain hard quarters. Teachers would not be able to use the spaces as storage. The policy also mandates that classroom doors will be locked at all times. We spoke with Superintendent Runcie in his office last week. Will all Broward schools have hard corners by the end of this month in February? Yeah, our, let, me, let me just say that is our goal. The process of getting there, we have asked um, law enforcement agencies to help us to identify these hard corners, and they're having some reluctance to do it. Something that seems... What's the feedback you're hearing so, from police? So, and that's not true for all... Um, law enforcement agents. So the process that we've asked our schools to use is to collaborate with your school resource officer, local law enforcement folks, to help identify the safer spaces in the classrooms. Some of them don't want to take that on because they feel that might create some liability for them. Um, Do you so, feel that it creates a liability? I, I, I don't, but there's a lot of nervousness around that, more than you think. Um, so at some level, let me just say this. The, it it gets simplified, um, and it's not just a matter of running the room and picking a corner. Um, we have classrooms that have multiple doors, so the safer space depends on the direction that the threat is coming from. We have windows in classrooms, so we have to prepare for that. So we need to really think about this in a more thoughtful way versus, hey, just go in a room and just pick a corner somewhere. And so we, we, we're, we're making sure that we do this thoughtfully. So, um, yes, our focus was to get it done at the end of February, but our timeline may be impacted um, by our ability to get 
you know, law enforcement agencies to work with us. We may need to figure out some other approach. But if we go beyond the end of February, it wouldn't be much longer than that. We're going to get it done. We got a policy um, that will be uh, finally adopted on February 20th by the school board. Um, so we're, we're getting that work done. What yeah. constitutes a hard corner uh, under that policy? In other uh, words, does an entire class, for instance, have to be able to fit into this space without having a line of sight from a door or a window? Uh, so the, the, the way you, you look at this is we don't call it a, a safe space because there's no such thing as an absolute safe space. There are safer spaces to be in a classroom given the circumstances around the threat. So one of the things that we are doing, and we're working with our, our, uh, our, our risk consultants, our security risk consultants, is to um, do what we call scenario-based training versus having the same type of drills over and over again. Um, people, at some point, um, they, 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 they lose um, their ability to respond properly if you're just kind of doing the same thing over and over again. So we're going to be introducing a variety of different scenarios and um, helping people to figure out how to respond to that. So depending on what that is, um, safer spaces may, may change depending on the circumstances. So Can you give us an idea of the variety of definitions that would fit under this policy? The definitions for? For a safer space, for a hard corner. Uh, what I would say, a, a, a safer space is, is a space in the classroom that would uh, provide the um, greatest amount of um, security given the threat that has been posed. What we're trying to do in most cases is to identify the place that would have the minimal amount of line of sight. But the challenge is that we got to think beyond what happened in the last incident, right? So there is a risk of being overly prescriptive in our solutions based on what the last shooter did, right? And if we do that, we're going to miss the boat on creating a more comprehensive security apparatus for Broward County Public Schools. Because the next incident that may occur somewhere may not be exactly as how that occurred. So that's why we've hired security consultants who've done this all over the world, have looked at lots of different um, um, situations that have occurred, and they're advising us to take measures into place. And by the way, they, they weren't a big proponent of these uh, corners, but there are two levels of safety in my view. There's actual physical effective security measures you can put in place, but we can't ignore psychological safety. There are things that may not be the best investment, but if it provides psychological safety to many, then sometimes we need to balance that out. And so we're trying to do both of those, obviously making sure we're making the best investments that we can, um, but there are some things that, well, you know, we may do this a little differently, but given where our community's at, um, you know, we will go ahead and move forward with um, uh, some things because I think overall we not only need our 
kids and our teachers to be safe, we need them to feel safe. Our interview with Broward School Superintendent Robert Runcie continues. Still to come, an official Code Red emergency policy. We have been doing this in the district as a matter of practice and good common sense to make sure that our schools are safe. Uh, we didn't actually have a formal adopted policy. Welcome back to the Sunshine Economy on WLRN. Thanks again for listening. I'm Tom Hudson. And I'm Jessica Bakeman. There is no official code red policy for Broward County Public Schools. On Wednesday, the school board is scheduled to vote on a formal emergency code policy. Now, a code red is an alert that puts a school campus on lockdown because of an attack. Different color codes represent different threats. The state's Stoneman Douglas Commission recommended a written, unambiguous code red. The proposed Broward policy requires any school staff to call a code red if they, quote, see, hear, or smell anything that threatens the safety and security on campus. And if someone does call a code red, but it's a false alarm, they won't get in trouble. Back to our interview with Superintendent Runcie. We spoke with him last week. We have been doing emergency code drills in Broward County for years. That's just what we've normally done. The policy that we um, have now that's going in front of the board to be formally adopted on February 20th codifies what we normally do. We've done almost 2,000 code red drills um, this year. Um, the, the process for doing a policy in a school district is defined by state law. Um, it requires us to advertise the first policy for 15 days, then have a meeting on that policy and then have a 30-day window so the public can actually have a chance to look at the policy and make adjustments. And, and by the way, I've also asked um, our, our new sheriff to also uh, look at the draft of the policy and make any recommendations. So the policy um, will be formally adopted by the board on February 20th. Um, but but yeah. prior to that, is there a policy? Is is there a policy that's replacing? Is no, there, there, isn't. there isn't. So, so despite so, the the practices and the drilling that you mentioned, yeah. So we didn't have a formal policy um, pre previously. We essentially had a um, district guidelines and protocols that folks were following, and 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 been following for many many years in this district. So a question would come up. Uh, 12, 13 months after the tragedy, now the policy is being voted on. Despite that runway that you talk about that's prescribed in state law in terms of the notice and the public comment and those kinds of things, what is it that has contributed to that timeline to come to February 20th of 2019 for the vote on well, the policy? So I, when I went in front of the commission, I committed to, we'll go back and we'll do a policy right away. And, and I did, I brought it back as our next board meeting. But I will tell you, we didn't wait for the commission to do their work. We didn't wait for anyone to tell us to have a code red policy. We'd been doing this work. Um, we do active assailant um, drills and training throughout the district. We actually also work with um, different law enforcement agencies and first responders to do mock drills at our schools that you know take three hours or more. Um, and so we, we have been doing this in the district as a matter of practice 
and good common sense to make sure that our schools are safe. Uh, we didn't actually have a formal adopted policy, but we had procedures because, and guidelines that are set. Is it because of the commission that you decided to go toward the commission, a formal the, policy? The commission essentially said, hey, it would be good for you to have a policy. And look, if having a policy here in Broward County um, helps to um, make uh, not only Broward County schools safer, but all schools throughout Florida safer, then we need to do it. And, and so I, I think we, we need to set the tone there. And um, I think other districts um, throughout the state will probably follow suit. Does any school employee have the ability to? Yes, they do. As part, of the, as part of the new FOP policy, it is very clear that any school district employee has the ability to call Code Red. Moreover, we say that you must uh, call Code Red if you see anything that may create a threat. Because there's a concern that an employee may not engage a code red scenario if they're uncertain about it because they may have some repercussions of doing. And so what we want to make it clear is that we'd rather deal with that situation where you're overly cautious versus not taking action when you really needed to take action. So that language has been put in a policy. And I think that's an add to what, you know, we've had out there. Is there also mandatory school-based drilling for faculty, for staff, and for students? That's always been the case. So we, they, they, they do them at schools. And in fact, um, Is there a prescribed number of drills? Well, right now we have to do a, a um, drill every month. That's why we're up to 2,000. Um, and, and we're hearing from um, schools that it's, it's too much. Um, so we got to do, and we can't do the same type of drill all the time, which is what's described now. So again, we're going to try to move to some more um, robust scenario-based um, training. I think there's going to be some potential legislation in Tallahassee this year that uh, may modify the frequency uh, of those drills. The, the frequency is prescribed in the Stoneman Douglas the, law. But the Stoneman Douglas uh, um, uh, Public Safety Act requires that you do these emergency code drills at the same frequency you do any other drill, i.e. fire alarms. We're required by federal and state law to do a fire drill every month, which now means that we have to do an emergency code drill every month. So you can imagine what how that's impacting schools now. Um, so we've got to um, get some kind of balance there, and that's what we've heard from um, our, our students and our teachers and, and certainly parents who are here getting feedback from their kids as well. Broward School Superintendent Robert Runcie. Still to come, who is responsible for school security? I, as a superintendent in this district, own responsibility for making sure that we're doing every single thing we can in our power to make our schools as safe as possible. We're back on the Sunshine Economy. I'm Tom Hudson. And I'm Jessica Bakeman. When we spoke with Superintendent Robert Runcie last week in his office, he pledged to make Broward County schools the safest in the nation. This follows the district signing an agreement with the Broward Sheriff's Office last month, giving it access to live security video from schools. Superintendent Runcie, who is responsible for a school's security? 
everyone. We're all responsible for school security. And that includes the students at the school. That's why we ask our kids, if you see something, you say something. At the school level, uh, ultimately, the principal is the leader of the school. Um, they take full accountability for that. We put in now an office of school safety and security. We expect them to have a good level of responsibility to make sure that it occurs. And at the end of the day, I, as a superintendent in this district, own responsibility for making sure that we're doing every single thing we can in our power to make our schools as safe as possible. At the school level, do you think that principals in Broward County acknowledge that they are the ones responsible for security on campus and not the SROs or, or monitors? I, well, yes. Our, our principals um, have heard it loud and clear from me and senior staff. We've had several um, all principal, assistant principal meetings where we've made it clear. I mean, we've had meetings where we've played the, the video of the actual shooting that occurred to impress upon them how serious this is. Um, so our principals know that safety and security of the schools is a big priority for them and will con continue to be. It may not be what some of them um, signed up for in terms of their primary focus, but it absolutely has to be, no exceptions. So yes, it's, it's, it's part of changing the culture um, in the district. Can you tell us about the decision to play the video of the shooting for the principals? Why did you do that? Uh, because we felt that not only did I do that, but I've recommended that they all read the MSD commission report. Um, I think that it's important for every leader in this district uh, to uh, be sensitized to what occurred at MSD, um, the impact that tragedy has had on not just Stoneman, Douglas, and Parkland and Coral Springs, but the entire Broward County. Um, and, and so as leaders um, in our schools, um, you, you have to take the time to, to understand that because if we're going to make our school district the safest school district in Florida and this nation, then all of our school leaders need to understand what's at stake. So one of the other changes that you've talked about making recently was um, developing an agreement with the Broward Sheriff's Office to allow access to school surveillance cameras. Uh, I think during emergencies, can you explain sort of the circumstances under which that would be allowed? We have an agreement with the Broward Sheriff's Office, and as I sit here and speak to you today, they have full access to all our cameras um, in Broward County. Um, there's no restrictions on it. They can tap into those videos. They can tap into. They can tap into them now. Nor now normally, they they would tap into them when they have a reason to. There's there's a, a sus suspected threat. There may be a potential safety thing. They may they there's a variety of reasons why they would do that. But there are no res restrictions really. They don't have to come and get permission from the district in order to go and access it. They just have real time access to all the cameras. What about your concerns about this? historically about the potential violation of the federal law that protects student privacy. Um, so we have made it clear to them that this is all about school safety. I believe that if I got to choose between safety and privacy, I'm, I'm going with safety every day. I don't think there's anything that we're doing here that overly um, uh, creates an issue. Um, I'd rather be challenged on that. And 
Um, I, I think this is the right thing for us to do. Uh, and I'm moving beyond the sheriff's office. Uh, we've sent the agreement out now to several other law enforcement agencies, including Coral Springs, the city of Fort Lauderdale, and others, um, because we want them to have similar access for schools in their jurisdiction. I read that agreement when it was presented to the school board, and from what I remember, it specifically says we, that that would be allowed during a heightened threat situation, we, not we unfettered access we, at all times. We were, we've modified that, um, that agreement. Did you make those changes to the agreement to allow uh, police to have access basically whenever they want? Was that with input from the new Broward County Sheriff, uh, Gregory uh, Tony? Yes, yes, it was. I've had a number of conversations with him. Um, we're working through some other potential agreements and ideas where we can collaborate on. The original version of the agreement that allowed Broward Sheriff's Office unfettered access only during an emergency was approved by the school board on January 15th. It doesn't appear that the school board voted on the new, substantially different version. We asked the school district three times over the last five days whether the board had approved it and did not get a response. Pilar Uribe is our technical director. Polly Landis is our booking producer. And I'm Jessica Bakeman. And I'm Tom Hudson. Thanks for listening. 